Wait, what is the Disney Channel theme? Bum, 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 bum. Hi, I'm Luke Hofer, and you're listening to D-Combat. Coming up next, a man in his 30s judges movies that were definitely not made for his demographic. Starting at 8, 7 central. Hi everybody, my name's Luke Hofer and welcome to another episode of D-Combat. D-Combat is a no-holds-barred, single-elimination tournament for every single Disney Channel original movie between the years of 1997 and 2015. Each week I'll be reviewing the two different movies going head-to-head against each other and determining which one is my favorite. I'm here with my wife Jill. Hello, I'm Jill. And we'll be discussing the pros and cons of our two movies this week in the second match of the first round between the ultimate Christmas present, and can of worms. Before we get started, I also want everybody to know that Jill's very embarrassed about the audio quality. This is really just supposed to be a hobby podcast, but she produces podcasts for a living and is mortified by the audio quality. Well, the thing is, I told my coworkers about the podcast this week. I was not planning on doing so, but I made the mistake of telling one coworker, shout out Katie, who then exposed me to the rest of the company, which I should have known was coming. So if anyone's listening, hi. Also, no one judge me for this quality. We're trying to figure out our mic setup because all we have is Yetis and they suck. But for the movies this week, the last matchup was really difficult because I enjoyed both of those movies way more than I thought I was going to. And so I had high expectations going into this week. And I was very much let down. And both of these movies were not exactly what I expected. This is more the caliber that I was waiting for us to get into. That's why last week I was like, do not get your hopes up. This is not the barometer for the entire catalog that we'll be going through. I wouldn't say I got my hopes up. I think I just was like, oh, okay, so these aren't as bad as I thought. But these two movies... Or about what I was expecting yes. originally coming into this. So, are we ready to dive in? Uh, yes, let's dive in. First up is the ultimate Christmas present. A white Christmas in Los Angeles? Impossible! But when 13-year-old Allie Thompson and her best friend Sam, a young Brenda Song, a.k.a. Sweet Life of Zack and Cody's London Tipton, happen upon a weather-making machine discovered by none other than Santa Claus, flanked by two seven-foot-tall elves, we'll talk about that later, they use the machine to make it snow, causing a snow day in L.A. and canceling school. But when the machine gets out of hand and causes no end of problems that threaten to ruin Christmas, Allie and Sam have to team up with Santa and his elves in an attempt to save Christmas. What did we think of the ultimate Christmas present? (laughs) This is what I expected from a decom. An over-the-top premise, child actors who, like, kind of, but don't really know what they're doing, and, like, plot points that are very, like, on the nose and and right in your face. Um, There were some very specific things that were hilarious about this movie, and then some other things that, like, weren't as great about this movie um number one our protagonist in this film Allie, is a total brat like 
and not the like redemptive arc kind of brat like even at the end of the movie santa's like yeah you're still a naughty girl but you learned your lesson <laughs> like shouldn't she become like a good girl at that point in time <laughs> No, she was still straight up on the naughty list at the end. And like Santa admits it <laughs> at the end of the movie. Santa admits that she's on the naughty list. And throughout the movie, like she's really not an endearing character. Everybody talks about what a smart girl she's supposed to be and how she like has so much potential. And then she goes and squanders it over and over and over again. Well, the thing for me was that like the entire premise of... No. The entire reason that Allie wanted school canceled was because she was too lazy to write a five-page paper <laughs> that she had already, like, written the creative writing assignment in her head for. Like, I was like, girl, buckle down for two hours tonight and you've got it. But instead, she ruined the lives of Los Angeles metropolitan and like, area. <laughs> and I think that's why I did not care about Allie as a character, because... She's exactly who everybody says that she is. <laughs> and it's so annoying. It's not even like, oh, she does these, she like makes these decisions and everybody doesn't get her. Like she's this misunderstood character. It's like, no, she's just a total jerk to everybody. And they're <laughs> like, you could be so much more. Cause you're right. The teacher is like, oh, well, did you write your assignment? She's like, yeah, I'm almost done. This is what my story is about. And then she immediately walks out of class and is like, no, I couldn't do that. I've already forgotten what it's about. It was like, you didn't have to forget. Like, you could have realized that you were coming up with an amazing premise right there. And then be like, oh, okay, like, this is how I write my paper. I will defend her, though, is as somebody who works in education, I think writing a five-page, and I think at one point they even say it's supposed to be single-spaced, <laughs> creative writing assignment in one week or, like, less than a week is a lot to ask of somebody that's in middle school. It was a huge assignment. It was a gigantic assignment. And all the kids are like, yeah, this is just what this teacher does. <laughs> I was like, if this teacher is assigning like five page writing assignments for these kids, they're going to be incredible essayists by the time they graduate high school. That's where uh, they learned the valuable lesson of tweaking the margin by like one sixteenth on either side and making the um, punctuation 18 point instead of 12 point. These yeah, are, kids are going to be way ahead of the curve on that. Yeah, they'll, the, this is, these are important lessons that they need to be learning, though. So I'm with this teacher. <laughs> I still Five pages, single space in a week. I didn't get those assignments when I was in grad school. <laughs> That's a lot. That's, I don't know how many words that is. That's probably close to 10,000 Could words. Could you imagine being the teacher that had to grade those? Oh, yeah. And in that, like, that era, it's not even like she has any kind of help. No. Like, any kind of digital help. Like, she has to go through, like, by hand. Like, these kids are writing these assignments by hand, too. And she has to read five-page papers, single-spaced, by kids in middle school. Talk about a personal hell. That would be horrible. So I wonder, then, if the teacher, when they actually got the snow day, was actually the one, like, hell oh, yes. Oh, thank God. I don't have to do this. <laughs> Over break, nonetheless. Like, yeah. it was the last day before break, too, which was wild. But no, Allie was honestly just a, a jerk of a character. Because not only is it, like, the writing assignment where she proves, like, oh, I'm gonna destroy Los Angeles in order to get out of this day of school. <laughs> but also, like, finding the machine. Like, she, one, takes her best friend through the woods who doesn't want to go through the woods for probably, like, good reason. And then when somebody, like 
throws their property in a rage out of their house. Like, first of all, she sneaks onto the property to spy on this person that she doesn't even know, who turns out to be Santa, but, like, whatever. And then when he throws the little weather machine out, she's just like, okay, I'm going to take this now. Like, doesn't even think about the fact that it's not her property. There's even, I can't even remember since it's been a while since we watched the movie at this point, but she even has the line where she and Brenda Song are, like, hiding around the corner of the house, and then she's like, no, we can do this. And Brenda's like, no, like, that's not something, like, that good people do. (laughs) Yeah. And then she's like, no, but it's okay, because he won't see us. And I'm like, this girl is a jerk. (laughs) And then she, like, she just does not deserve the, like, redemption that she gets at the end of the movie, because she really doesn't change. Like, the only reason she gets upset about things isn't that she's seen the error of her ways. It's because she is reaping the consequences of her actions. Like, that's why she goes and tries to fix everything, because it then starts affecting her life rather than somebody else's life. Okay, so let's... She's just a mean character. Let's talk pros of the movie. What were your standout pros of The Ultimate Christmas Present? I do think it was a fun premise. Like, I like the idea that somebody finds a weather machine and affects Los Angeles weather and it kind of screws things up. Um, really, the big con of the movie was Allie as a character. Everything else um, was was pretty great. Um, first of all, my favorite part of the movie, the meteorologist. Oh. Which... <laughs> Wait, I forgot. <laughs> From beginning to end, he is... He was... Rapturous. He like caught my attention right off the bat <laughs> with a performance that like I thought was just terrible acting, but was a legitimate choice for his character that like played out and just the the way that he would act on television. His favorite line, I have it written down here, where just casually he's trying to vamp and fill time on air as a weather person, and he goes. You ever slip on a patch of ice? <laughs> and then that man the whole is scene. picking up chicks all the over. T- <laughs> there's the whole scene between him and the station manager, which is just weird to like Both create more insane choices. Like honestly, the best scene in the movie, like the overacting the movie. all over the place. Way too much overacting. The station manager is just like coming out left and right where. Man, he, first of all, the meteorologist at the beginning of the movie, he was cracking me up. I thought he was hysterical, wild, entertaining. I wanted him to show up on the TV screen again. And then he walks into the station manager's office and the station manager is like, you are the most boring weatherman in the country. (laughs) And like attacks him straight up with these horrible, like hyperbolic sentences to really tear him down and the guy's like yeah you're right i'm super boring like i'm a huge nerd and so at the beginning he's just this crazy weirdo and then in the middle of the movie they try and like mold him into this like weird super sciencey nerd and then in the third act he just immediately like becomes a villain all like, of a just, sudden all of a sudden he what what's the moment because like you can see the moment and i i totally forget what it is but i think it's like when he goes over to the house, like when he finds out where the weather machine is. It's the scene. So they, yes, because he, they show his desk at the station. Oh, yes. And it's like 
all of a sudden it, it's like he literally has a Bunsen burner at his desk. Oh no, that was I think that was his transition into scientist, like away from kooky weatherman to like I'm a super nerdy scientist. <laughs> no, what I'm thinking of, I just remembered it. He goes over to the house because he's trying to find the weather machine because he's like, I want to know what started this. Like, I want to know where the weather came from. And that's part of his nerdy persona. And he goes over to the, the house of the family and the mom lets him in and he's talking. And she's like, can I get you a glass of water? And he has this weird list where he's like, yes, a glass of water and peanut butter toast and a turkey, a turkey sandwich. And then like all these other things just to like buy himself more time in the house, I'm guessing, yes. because he's just assuming this person is going to get him all of these things. Oh, yeah. Which, when we cut back to the mom, she is making him a turkey sandwich. Yeah, she's doing the full thing. But no, the moment that I was talking about when he becomes a supervillain is he's really excited, he finds the weather machine, and then he goes, I'm going to take over the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> he literally says oh, that. <laughs> He's like he? so excited to find the machine and he has it in his hand. <laughs> and then as soon as he has it in his hand, the first thing he says, he goes to himself, I'm going to take over the entire world. And it's the first glimpse you get of this man like having any sort of world domination villainous tendency. Like the whole rest of the movie, he's just kooky weatherman. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's kind of a weird scientist guy. And then all of a sudden I am going, going to, to take, take over, over the, world. the entire world. <laughs> So he's a wild three part. acts for this man. Um, and then sli we, slightly adjacent to the meteorologist. Wait, no, we can't. We have to talk about the picture. No, I was, oh, okay. I was going to. Yeah, that was my next point is jumping back to the scene with the station manager and they're yelling at each other. And the station manager says, if you weren't my brother-in-law, I would fire you. And it cuts to a picture of him with his wife. <laughs> And his wife is literally just the meteorologist in a wig. Like, it is the same actor wearing a wig oh that he just posed God. for to have this little insert shot. And it was long enough that we, like, we didn't even have to pause. We all were like, that is the man wearing that's a wig. The, that is the, the meteorologist man. just wearing a wig. That's the wig. And that was, so funny. I think it was that moment when I knew, like, this is the best part of the movie. And I... I'm so sad that the station manager didn't come back. Yeah, I wish he'd come back. At any point in time. Like, he, that scene between them is wonderful. It's, it borders on artistic. It's, it's incredible. So yeah, the weatherman was definitely the best part of the movie. Um, the elves, Patrick Starr and the NBA player. Wild. Yeah. Yeah, this is a good time. Can I insert some, um context of who's who in the movie here absolutely so santa's elves which we both agreed this was a pretty brilliantly funny choice of them like they made the choice to make santa's elves seven foot tall men and basically be like yeah no one understands like everyone thinks we're these little guys but in reality all the elves are seven feet tall so one was the voice of patrick star and then the other was an NBA player named John Sally. Who was an active NBA player Look, at the time he was the movie was made. In, on the Lakers at the time that they were filming this movie. Like, I don't know how he did it. But he was actively part of the LA Lakers. And he's been in a decent amount since. I mean, like, clearly he was kind of transitioning in his career at the time. And this was a good Blue little... Blue collar NBA player. We love it. Um, so that was a great choice. Obviously, Brenda Song as Sam. 
This was a very early, this may have been Brenda Song's first uh, Disney Channel appearance. She was London Tempted on Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. Um, did you watch Sweet Life? I have no familiarity with that show. Oh, so good. Well, she that was like her big thing for Disney. You will see Brenda Song in more DCOMs in the future. Oh, I'm sure. I, I knew who Brenda Song was. I'm yes. just not familiar with that TV show. Um, And then the other big get in this movie was the mom was the same woman who played the mom in All of Lizzie McGuire. <laughs> we don't know her name, though. No, don't know her name. <laughs> Just, know <it> <laughs> Just know that it was mom for Lizzie McGuire. Which, the mom was an interesting character, too, because I just think she was, like, written weirdly, because throughout the movie, the mom is very much like, oh, I just work all the time. This is my busy season, all of this kind of stuff. Because she was, I think, like a private caterer or private chef or something. yeah. And I think a lot of the, like, family stuff that they tried to make with um, with Allie's family all kind of felt, I don't want to say it felt flat, but it was very, like, very off. Because they never made it clear, like, throughout the whole movie, the mom has the catering business, and she's, like, got these, like, four big events on Christmas Eve or whatever, and then she'll have time to, like, spend Christmas with the family. And when the weather hits... All of a sudden, she starts talking about, like, we get all of this exposition about, like, nobody can go anywhere. It's super dangerous. Like, LA's not used to snow, so they're not equipped to handle this, and they can't clear the roads and all of this stuff. But the mom is, like, still preparing, which, why she's roasting turkeys in the oven, like, days before a catering event, I'm not sure. But she's, like, still preparing and saying she doesn't have any time for any of this other stuff, which is kind of what gives the main character's license to like run around and do whatever they want to. She's like, she doesn't have time. And then later she's like having this heart to heart with her daughter about like, yeah, everything's just so busy. I can't, I don't have time for you. And I was like, but like you've been talking and she's like also saying that like people are canceling, like people are canceling because of the weather. Cause they're not having all of this stuff. I'm like, okay. Uh, have a bunch of weather that's canceling all of these things, but you're probably preparing like way more than you need to, and you don't have time for your children, but also you don't have any work to do at this point in time, but you still can't spend time with your children at this point in time. I really think that her private catering career was just a quick little character device to introduce us to the gay sous chef. Probably true. <laughs> I don't think we were, I don't think it was for anything else. I respect a, a a working mom. I love seeing a working mom, like a oh, career, a two career household, uh, represented in, in a late ninety, early two thousand Disney Channel movie. We love mm -hmm. it. It was it was great. She was a baddie, um, but I do think it was just introduced us to the gay sous chef, who was another man making choices in this movie. Yeah, um, but I just think there were a lot of times where the mom was like, "Oh man, I wish that we spent more time together as a family." And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, like you could do something about that. Like, <laughs> like you are the one, like, you are independently employed. Like, you are But it's her busy season. So, uh, but, like, she she always, I don't know, something something just kind of fell flat to me. Like, I, I won't say that it was wrong or a bad impression it was just like they always tried to use like here's what it was here's what it was 
is the fact that they tried to use the mom as like the onus behind like we don't spend mm. enough time together as a family when the dad was the one that was gone where like yeah. the dad is the one that's not there at that moment like i think if she would have been like like if they would have been like oh dad's always on work trips and he always makes it home for christmas and now this is the one where he doesn't come home like that would have felt better to me like if the mom works all the time but if they were like like mom's always busy dad's always on trips and now like the dad can't get home because of this weather even though he always makes it home on christmas and then the mom's there and she kind of learns oh family is more important than work sometimes i think that would have been much smoother yeah than like having all this like all this kind of stuff being put on the mom's shoulders and then dad's just kind of like because they don't they don't frame this as like dad is traveling all the time it's like oh dad has this like one weird like trip that he has to take for work really quickly like it's supposed to be like a one day thing that he's flying out and then he'll be back in plenty of time i thought they did say that he traveled all the time i don't uh maybe they did but i didn't get that it just to me it, it just didn't link up where like the dad was the one that was gone but mom was the one that like yeah. all of those emotions were kind of put on to yeah there's even the weird part where they like are roasting s'mores in the fireplace and doesn't the boy like the little brother go like i didn't know we had a fireplace <laughs> like like well, they're trying to, like, <laughs> right <laughs> but like but like I think to me it was that moment where they're like they're using the mom as a character to like reflect what is going on with the dad and they just didn't do it well because the mom had her own thing going on. Yeah. So a lot of the a lot of the plot points and stuff that they were using the mom for, I was attaching to the mom. So when everybody was devastated that dad wasn't making it home, it felt weird because it, it it didn't really mesh. It's like a family thing. It felt more as like individual character things to me. That's a good point. And it was, now that you bring it up, it was very interesting that it's like, it was still very classic gender role. Like, even though the mom was a baddie running her own business and like trying to balance family and everything during the busy season, mm-hmm. dad was gone and working. And that was like his only job. And then she was the one being like, oh my gosh, Allie wants these roller skates and I couldn't find them anywhere and mm-hmm. she was still the one looking and then blah, blah, blah. And then when the dad comes back, when he makes it back on Christmas morning yeah. and has the gift, the bracelet for the mom, yeah. all of a sudden it's like he's the hero yeah. of the whole thing. It's like, oh, dad made it back and he miraculously found time in the four days he was trapped in the San Francisco airport to get this present for mom. Like, Oh, well, <laughs> I think... <laughs> Oh, the yeah, getting the present for mom at the airport was hilarious because if there's anything that screams romance, it's jewelry from an airport. <laughs> um, <coughs> but they also get the kids the gifts that they want too. Like all of that turns out okay. But that, I guess, that I kind of interpreted as like the elves were a part of that. Like yeah. because the elves dropped the dad off at the end. I, that's kind of what I interpreted. But again, that goes back into me thinking that, like, Allie did not deserve any of this. Like, she did not grow as a character, did not deserve any of this. And, like, was really just, like, uh, she was spoiled. She was totally spoiled in this movie. And the one scene, if we want to talk wild choices and wild scripting things, is when Brenda Song's character... Like, we finally get a little glimpse of development 
where Allie is lamenting the fact that her dad isn't going to be home in time for Christmas. And she's like, man, can you imagine what it would be like to not have a dad? And Brenda's like, yeah, I could. (laughs) (laughs) And then Allie's like, sorry, I forgot. Sorry, I forgot. I was like, here's something that we like was not even alluded to at any other point in the movie. Um, and this is that like we had no idea. End of Act Two, early Act Three. Yeah, that this comes out. That this comes out, and honestly, this could have been a good springboard to like understanding like better family dynamics in Ali's household. Like the the she acts out because her parents aren't always around. Like she has too much freedom and she doesn't know what to do with. Like something kind of like that. Yeah. <laughs> but what they do instead is uh, Brenda Song's character starts to, like, talk about how sad she is about, like, what life is like not having a dad around at all. And then Allie's like, yeah, I know what you mean. One time we went on vacation and dad wasn't there. And, like, totally makes it about her. And, like, and the thing she says isn't even sad. It's not like I lost a grandparent. It's not like dad was missing when I, like, had this really important thing in my life or whatever. It's... No, we were just on vacation and dad wasn't there. Well, and then she goes and then she pulls out of nowhere like, oh yeah, parents are so silly. Like my dad every single Christmas goes out of his way to get this yes. charm for my mom's dumb bracelet. Aren't that's parents we find dumb? Out about the charm yes, too. but oh, then it's man, like, she that. totally makes it back about like, look at how much my dad loves my mom and Allie. Like poor Sam is such a good friend. She does, Allie... Does not deserve Sam. That's like the moral yeah, of this really is a the toxic friendship. relationship. Sam is way too good for Allie, and I hope she realizes it when they go into high school and they go their separate ways and they find their separate interests. But Sam literally was like, "Oh yeah, that's sweet," and then they never discuss anything else. Sam and her feelings ever again. And then I got terrified because, like, two scenes later, we have Sam's mom. That's like, "There's a huge emergency at the hospital. Can you watch Sam for the afternoon?" And we were both like. She's going to die in a car accident. Yes, because then the mom, then Allie's mom comes out and like they have this moment because you can tell they're friends. The moms are Mm -hmm. friends. And Allie's mom is at the car and like gives her a hug and is like, are you sure you should be going out? And we're literally sitting there like, no, 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 no. She's totally going to die. She's Sam's going to be an orphan. Sam's going to be an orphan. And then nothing. Yeah, and then nothing. Like literally nothing. Like we don't even see the mom's okay. We don't see the mom for the rest of the movie. Until L.A. has thawed over. Um, yeah, and so basically what I'm saying is Allie is a horrible person and she doesn't really deserve any of the gifts that she gets at the end of the movie. Are there any other big cons to call out? Um, I don't know if it's a con, but it was definitely weird, but it was the strange, like, battery advertisement that we had when Santa is fixing the weather machine. Oh my gosh, I forgot. Where there's a two minute bit where he's just talking about the batteries that he uses for no reason. And it's just like, I can't even remember what the batteries are called, but they're like ho 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 something or other, whatever. But it's like some weird battery pun and it's like one of the writers was like wanted to like, have this joke about batteries, and then everybody else made fun of him, and then he's like, well, guess what? I'm writing this whole bit into the movie where Santa just talks about the batteries. Well, and it was the whole solve to the weather machine not stopping the snow, but Santa's like, oh, LOL, I guess I put normal batteries in instead of these lifetime-lasting ho-ho-ho batteries. And at one point, he even, like, holds them up with the label for everybody <laughs> to see, and like, is this a real brand of batteries that they're trying to shill right now? It's so weird. Because he 
the the gang yeah they're trying to figure out why the weather machine won't work and then santa's like oh did we check the batteries and um or did you use this brand of batteries and then one of the elves i think it's patrick star is like yeah of course i replaced them and then santa opens it up and he's like no there's these normal batteries in here and the elf then is like oh yeah that's right when this thing happened then i had to replace it and i didn't know what to do and then santa talks for two minutes about these special batteries that he uses like why does that have to be the fix it's so strange it's so bizarre um i was trying to look up the batteries to see if they were i couldn't find it but it did bring up the movie poster to me Mm -hmm. which does bring me back to before we started the movie we all looked at this poster and we said is this movie about gay dads because the two elves definitely are flanking santa as if they are the gay dads of the family which like surprising that the two elves would be there and the mom is not like i feel like the mom played a much larger role than the elves. oh yeah also brenda song in this picture is just she's serving looks she is she's very upset i think she realizes what a terrible friend Allie is (laughs) she's mad about it and also, forgot to mention it, it's really not worth mentioning. He had almost no reason to be in the movie. Spencer Breslin is the younger brother in the movie. Don't know why he was <laughs> yeah. there, except to just, like, basically whine and be like, Mom, Allie's not letting me in her room. Uh, one thing that I do get the vibe of from DCOMs is that, like, there are definitely archetypal characters, as there would be for any, like, um, sort of media or any sort of storytelling. And one thing that is always super prevalent when there is a preteen or teenage female protagonist is there has to be an annoying younger brother. Yeah, that's true. Like, and actually, I don't think that's just for like female protagonists. I think anytime we have like a teenage protagonist, there has to be an annoying younger sibling. And they are almost always, if not entirely, of the opposite gender that the protagonist is yeah and that's i feel like that stands true for the series on disney channel too yeah because you think of like even stevens you think of um lizzie mcguire yeah lizzie mcguire with matt yeah yeah it's very trope i it's yeah a huge trope just to like i think create a foil for that character or to like pull extra conflict yeah out of that so that didn't necessarily bother me i just think that that's a mainstay he really didn't serve any purpose um he was just annoying aside from the wild time where he's trying to like guess his presence and he asks if they got him like i don't think it was a poster i think he straight up asked if he got one of the dallas cowboy cheerleaders for him for christmas i don't remember that you don't he's like asking and they're like normal kind of like like preteen boy things that's where he's like did you get me this video game they're like no did you get me a football no and then he's like did you get me a picture of the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you are not in the age bracket that should be wanting that. Like, also, terrible Christmas gift. Like, if you want a poster of cheerleaders, uh, go out and get that on your own time. Like, don't ask somebody to get that for yeah. you because that's kind of weird. Don't ask your mom to go buy that. Yeah, for I'm you. like, was that on this Christmas? <laughs> Why are you asking your mom or your sister to buy you a poster of cheerleaders? Oh my gosh. Oh. So funny. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about in this movie um, what is the the whole montage with the L.A. Naughty Girl list. Oh, Did yeah. you remember that? Yes. Where Santa and the elves land in L.A. And they're like, all right, here's my list of naughty girls in L.A. Let's go find them. And I was like, wait a minute, what? 
This is becoming he a said, much different movie. This movie took a turn uh, very quickly. Whoa! How did this make? How did this make it past the Disney censors? Oh my god! And then, not only is that like a wild way to put it, for Sam to be like, "Let's go look up all the naughty girls." They then proceed like three grown ass men proceed to like invade the premises of and assault. Teenage like girls, sneak up on like them. sneak up on teenage girls and like interrogate them about different things and like honestly terrify these young girls like justifiably like there are three grown men all of which are very tall and then he got the one girl in trouble because they came they came into the house and the girl they left and the mom came down and was like who are you talking to and she was like santa and the mom was like that's the last straw kim you've lied to me enough times yeah. go to your room and she's like but but yeah. <laughs> and like the thing like in order to establish like this is a naughty girl like this is a girl, like they're not like naughty in the sexual sense it's like <laughs> these are girls on the naughty list oh my gosh it just does not play that way <laughs> but like in order to establish like they are deserving to be on the naughty list like these girls are like doing wildly mean things totally unprovoked oh yeah so it's just that was that was hilarious that's that's probably the last big thing that i want to talk about other than um Maybe a few other points. Um, I did love the another topical reference where they mentioned the cast of Friends because apparently Friends was huge at this point in time. And then almost immediately after, they talk about Ricky Martin. Um, hilarious now that we know about what we know about Ricky Martin. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I do all... I always love those uh, topical references. But overall, like... An entertaining movie. I'll give it that. It was a very entertaining movie. I just, it was not, I did not enjoy it as much as last week's movies because Allie's just a huge jerk. Like, the protagonist was just, I was not invested in her story because she's just being a terrible person the entire time. And then she never gets a comeuppance and she gets rewarded for, like, basically screwing everything up. And she never has to write the paper. And she never has to write the paper. Totally gets out of her schoolwork. The only comeuppance she really gets is she's really excited about that boy's party. And then he cancels the party. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. And he's like the scrawniest boy in school. Yeah, and they like, talk about what Blake. a cute boy he is. And he is probably two years younger than they are. Could like, not have been shorter. any... You know what? Short King, though. We, yeah, we do stand a short king. But like... Definitely not the kind of, like, cute... Like, when you see a middle school girl talking about a cute boy, like, there's a certain image that you have in your head. This boy was the opposite Not it. Not it. Yeah. It was like they... It was like that part of the script was supposed to be taken out, and they totally forgot to take it out, but they didn't have any writers on set, so they're like, we gotta find a cute boy, and they just pulled a random extra out and told him to, like, say a few extra lines. It's wild. Because he's in, like, one scene... Oh, yeah. And then they totally forget that storyline until later they're like, oh, yeah, he canceled his party. And yeah, because it was a quick phone call. Yeah. Second up, we have Can of Worms. Mike Pillsbury identifies more with the imaginary aliens he spins elaborate stories about than he does with kids his own age, which is kind of weird for a kid with a handful of good friends and a very popular girl with a heart of gold who is clearly crushing on him. But anyway, he broadcasts a plea into space begging aliens to come take him away. But 
Mike gets more than he bargained for when they actually show up. And spoiler alert, they're disgusting puppets with human teeth that I hate more than anything in this entire world. But now that he's opened up this can of worms, Mike scrambles to enlist the help of his friends to save the world. Okay, so... I don't want to talk about this movie. (laughs) We'll probably spend way less time on this movie just because it was so heinous to both of us. I oh, so like, the big literally nightmares. The the big difference between these two movies is the fact that for the ultimate Christmas present, I really enjoyed like the premise and the plot and like the goofiness of it, but I hated the main character. Yeah. In this movie it was kind of reversed where I really liked the characters and I thought that the characters were well done, but everything else I did not like. It was so disgusting. It was like legitimately after the aliens show up it's hard to watch like i st- i i stop i was very disengaged and there's something to there's something about like this weird i feel like it was probably like some kind of weird marketing thing in this time period where they were like kids love gross out stuff like maybe it was like a nickelodeon kind of thing where they're like oh yeah this was like the slime time era yeah like where they see nickelodeon having a ton of success with like slimy people and some of that stuff and so they wanted to play them to that aesthetic and they just went way overboard with it uh there's i mean there's a lot i could say for like the choices because honestly i think the choices they made in making most of the aliens disgusting like for the narrative are justifiable because they're supposed to be showing that these aliens are not the ones that what's the main character's name mike mike showing like mike does not want to like take their offer right like he has the dog alien that shows up first that's like i'm here to warn you like this is what happened you shouldn't listen to any of these aliens and so we're like oh he's a dog he's cute we like him and then when the other aliens start showing up they're all like disgusting literally the grossest things i've ever seen in my life like stomach churning um and so we're like yeah don't listen to these people can you describe the aliens to me um one they say one is a sewer alien and so he is i don't even know if it's a he but it's literally just like what you describe is like a gross green blob with teeth. With human teeth. Human teeth. teeth. There's, um, there's the weird one that's like, when you log into Disney+, Plus, it's got the weird, like, stem eyes, and it's like the upside down, like, face mouth thing with the human mouth. So gross. That, like, walks on two weird feet that has inexplicable superpowers to do whatever he wants. Um, and he's the one who's like the, it's all, he's almost like uh, an agent. He's yeah. like, oh, and I could make you big kid on this planet. I could really make you big. I could tell yeah. your story all over the galaxy. And then the agents are asking for like 30% of his earnings. Yeah. <laughs> which is wild. But that was the thing is that pretty much every alien that came into Mike's life was, oh, it, it, they, it's not like they all had different jobs and personas and stuff it was like every single one of them except for the dog alien was trying to exploit him was trying to exploit him they were all just like the agents of like oh i can make you big kid and it's like he wasn't trying to be big one one was trying to get him to be the spokesperson for like some weird yes like thing for like a utility knife or something like that the other one was a lawyer so the goopy one with the with the teeth was the lawyer where he's like we're gonna sue this planet then the other one was the talent agent that wanted to put him in a television series. There was another one um, 
that I could I didn't really see wasn't super paying attention to but he he didn't really have a ton of like speaking time but then there was the one like female alien that was like why don't we start dating like oh yeah like is that a female like is that an alien prostitute like is she's so weird is she a gold digger like what is trying to happen what is going on here was the lawyer the one that ate his dinner yeah Oh my god. That that scene is where I stopped watching. I literally I, was like, I cannot stomach the rest of the I wanted movie. to stop watching the movie at that point too, but I was like, I have to power through. Like, and at that moment I was desperately pleading like there was gonna be a reason for this, and there was not. There was zero payoff. Yeah. I liked the first twenty to thirty minutes of the movie, like where we get like the backstory and who Mike is and the whole situation that leads to him like calling the aliens to earth that was fun because i like i said i like those characters like mike is a very genuine guy the girl what's her name sherry oh um hold on caitlin 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 is really nice i love a popular girl with a heart of gold like probably one of my favorite kinds of characters and then the friends are good friends and even the bully is like you know that he's got layers because he's just as good with computers as Mike is. Oh, Because yeah. he's in the programming class and he does all of that stuff too. So the characters were really great, but the rest of the movie I was just totally disengaged from. We even said, like, we were talking about this earlier. And we even said that once the aliens show up, like, the whole plot kind of gets derailed at that point in the time. The phrase in lost favor. the plot is, like, the description of what happened. Yeah. They completely lost the plot when the aliens showed up. Because I think they were trying to focus on the weird alien designs and, like, making that the entertainment rather than telling a compelling story. Yes. Because the only growth, the only, like, arc that we see for any of the characters is in that first part of the movie where Mike's kind of learning about what it takes to be friends. And then he has the big, like moment where he thinks everybody was just plotting against him which honestly like he's kind of blind for not realizing that that was like a total accident and like Caitlin did not mean for that to happen um and on an aside it looked like those I'm just gonna say it those were terrible decorations for a dance (laughs) Like, they were, listen, they were just doing what they could. I'm surprised they had zero supervision by any adults yeah. when coming up with these dance like, decorations. The production but... designer for this whole movie was really going for like a late 90s television kind yes, of aesthetic. totally. Because all the decorations were just totally random. And who puts decorations in the middle of a gymnasium floor for a For a dance. dance. <laughs> With, with not only that, but with the control panel, like, right by the door to the gym where everybody's walking in through and blocking off plenty of area for people to, like, get in and dance and do things. These producers had clearly never been on a committee for organizing a middle school dance before. Obviously. Very, it's Obviously. very obvious. But, so the first part of the movie was really good. And then, yeah, once the aliens show, it's just all focused on the aliens because we've got this growth that Mike has. And then once the aliens show up, he's just more freaked out by the aliens. But there's no really instances where he, like, learns or, like, has to trust on the other people. Like, he's always the leader and he's always the one that comes up with the solution to the problem that happens, essentially. Mm -hmm. So that when he is, like, reunited with Caitlyn and the bully and his friends and stuff like that and they have to get out of the alien, off the alien planet or whatever, like, he's the one leading that charge And so 
there's never a moment where he actually learns that he's a part of like that community and like gives him a reason to stay on earth does that make sense yeah it's like the they he ends up at the the end of the story could have been like wow i realized that it's worth staying here because i have these friends who i didn't realize that they were actually like i have everyone i need here instead it was like wow so glad i got off that alien planet that was creepy like it was the opposite effect and it just didn't have that yeah which is why it lost the plot like it just completely lost it halfway through the movie laid so much groundwork in the first act of the movie to like show that he was surrounded by genuine people that wanted to have him around and that he was just kind of being blind to the fact that these people wanted to help him and be his friend. And that could have been a really great resolution to the movie. But then, yeah, it lost the plot and he never really learns anything throughout the movie. So at the end, it's more just like he decides to be on Earth because it's safer, not because he's actually learned that he's okay being there. Yes, it was the safety decision, not the, like, moral of the story decision. Yeah. Um, also, Caitlin was so sweet and good and literally the Love hottest her. girl head cheerleader played by Erica Christensen, who, for our Parenthood fans in the house, maybe just me, she was in Parenthood and she's great. She's also a Scientologist, but we can talk about that some other time. Maybe this was the beginning for her. Realize that Xenu was real because she saw the aliens. Honestly, this may have been something. This yeah. could have sparked something in young Erica. Maybe she's the one that wrote the script. <laughs> it was an early debut. Um, so yeah, overall, just did not enjoy watching this movie because of all the gross out stuff. I've got a few other notes, a couple of things that I want to talk about. Um, first of all is that football field. Such a budget like location for I've never seen a muddier football field in my life. Um, They shared the football field with a softball field that was as equally run down. And they acted like this was the school's football field that they used, like where everybody would go. All the football sequences in this movie, now that I'm thinking about it, totally off kilter. Like whoever was filming these football scenes or wrote these football scenes had never seen a football game in there. Never. Yeah. For... Uh, for Mike to get the interception and then start running back towards his own goal, like, so terrible. If he made the team, I guess, was he high school or was he, I think they were high school maybe. I feel it was high school. Yeah. yeah. If he made his high school football team, he had to he have would been not, yeah. yeah. It was a no. That was. Also, that was such a bizarre interaction with his parents too. Yeah. How they like ran onto the field after he got tackled. Mm-hmm. By his own team because he was going the wrong Wrong way. And then his parents came and stood over him and they were like, we're proud of you no matter what, sweetie. Don't worry about it. Except you were doing the wrong thing. But anyway, like, and then you never see him again in the movie. (laughs) Honestly, like, I feel like the parents could have been a huge key to, like, Mike as a character because the way they were written and the way that they were acted was phenomenal. Like, I totally... Looking at the parents, I totally understood why Mike was the way that he was. Yeah. Because they were super supportive parents, but they were supportive in turning Mike into the person that they wanted him to be, not who he wanted to be. So I feel like if they kind of would have expounded on that and maybe like wrapped the parents up into the alien thing a little bit more, that could have helped like propel him towards the character arc that he needed. But it was totally wasted because you're right. The parents are like, 
when he does something that he's really good at, there's the whole there's the whole part at the beginning of the movie where his dad like logs in to look at stocks and then a pig <laughs> just shows up on the computer oh, yeah. screen and he's like Guess I got a virus. Yeah. And then, like, goes to his son to fix it for him. And mm. he, like, talks, like, Mike says a bunch of, like, techno babble and everything. But he's talking about the hardware. But just, it has been so entertaining to watch, like, how computers are used in these movies from, like, over two decades ago. Because they are banking so much on people not knowing how computers work. Oh, yeah. And, like... Any person today, I literally think any person today under the age of 60, probably, would watch any of these movies and be like, that's not how computers work. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's not possible. Like, the in the computer lab, that was one of my favorite scenes in the beginning of the movie. They when put Mike puts the floppy disk, disk in, in, and all of a sudden, the pig pops up on every computer in the lab yeah. through a floppy disk that he put into and the heart of They himself. do not have internet, and this is happening. <laughs> so, yeah, computers are magic in this world. Um, and then, what's the last thing that I wanted to do? Oh, the one thing that made me so mad in this movie and like beyond just the gross out humor, but the thing that made me so mad was we have the movie essentially starts with Mike giving a monologue about this story that he's written because apparently he's a great storyteller. And so it's almost a comic book because he has these images on his computer that he's using to help tell the story to his friend's younger brother. And I can't even remember, but it's essentially like Superman's origin story. It's the Moses story. It's... um it's this story that Mike's trying to tell about how he sees himself where he is obviously believes himself to either be Superman or Moses, like where he was born an alien. And then there are these people that are attacking and trying to destroy the planet. So his parents send him in a rocket ship off and he ends up landing on earth. Like that is what he is getting at in this story. And he's got these pictures of this specific alien race and he gives them a name. I forget what the name is, but he names the alien race and you see the way that he's drawn them. And he's using them to tell the story. And he wraps up the story and the brother and the friend are like, hey, you're really good at this. You should like, you should like make comic books. Or they, they tell him basically like you should use these skills and people will realize how amazing you are. Like if you share these skills with people, they'll realize how, you, how amazing you are. And that being the first part of the movie, I remember watching it and being like, oh, this is going to be how he, like, parlays his nerdiness into popularity or into a community or whatever. Like, thinking that that's going to be a part of it. And it comes back maybe, like, once in the first act, and then it's totally dropped. Like, they do not mention the fact that he's a good storyteller or anything. Like, it's not like this guy has hidden charisma to, like, propel, like, to tell these stories and to, like, make people love him and to, like, relate to them through these stories. No, it's just, like, he's a sci-fi fan and he likes doing this. And then, in the third act, when they're on the alien planet at that weird zoo, or the prison, yeah. I should say, where they're keeping everybody, they run into the alien that he had drawn. Like, it's literally the exact same thing. Like, the exact same way that he had drawn it. And they just are like, hmm, that's weird. And they don't do anything about it. Like, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So he's telling me this, like, he's telling me he's Moses at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> and you're going to completely ignore that story for the entire runtime of the movie. And then 
when they discover, like when they land on an alien planet, they discover the exact same species that he drew. And you're just going to be like, hmm, that's a coincidence. Like, as far as the characters are concerned, like, Mike stares at them for a while, and then he just kind of, like, shrugs his shoulders. And Literally, like, that's all he does. That's weird. And I'm like, no, you have to talk about that. <laughs> like, you can't leave me in suspense. Like, and I could not, I can't even remember how this movie ends, because I was so caught up on that. <laughs> It is literally the exact same alien, and he just shrugs his shoulders and is like, wow, what a coincidence. No, that's not a coincidence. Like, you can't do that and not expect me to, to like, wonder what's going on there. Like, you can't leave that loose end. And they don't even acknowledge it later, right? Like, I think they're wrapping up, and he, he doesn't even ask a question about the alien. Like, he looks at the alien, and is like, hmm, that's weird, and then never asks asks about it again and like that's one of the foundational questions we have at the beginning of the movie is mike feeling that he's not from earth and then at the end he it's not even like he asks like hey am i really an earthling it and that's part of what bothers me is because like his character arc isn't like this could have been great if they would have had the movie go in this direction where he like feels like he's not from the planet but then he ends up learning, no, he really is an alien, and he's not a part of his family, he's not a part of this community, but he's created enough of a bond with these people throughout the course of the movie that he decides to stay on Earth anyway. That's a great story. And it's not that hard and for them really to not, have done they that. They had all the pieces there to do that, and that would have been a really, really great movie, and I think I could have forgiven a lot of the gross-out aliens if that's the story that was told. But it was not, because every point that would have gotten us to that that area, it was almost like Mike was like, man, that sucks, and then like moves on and doesn't learn from it at all, because he is totally blind throughout the movie, doesn't learn any lessons, and then at the end, the wrap-up is basically just like, I'm going to stay on Earth because all those aliens really freaked me out. So overall, what are your final thoughts on Can of Worms? Anything else that you want to share? No, I think that's it. I The sooner I can stop thinking about this movie, the better. <laughs> and this was this was a nine-seated movie. This was one of the top-seated movie. If it had been seated one higher, it would have gotten a buy. I don't know round. how it got seated that high. I, I feel like Richard put it high Probably. for some reason. Maybe. He's no longer a co-executive producer. <laughs> Kicking him off for that. All right, Luke, we've talked about the ultimate Christmas present and can of worms in round two of Decombat. What score are you giving the ultimate Christmas present? I'm going to give the ultimate Christmas present three out of five Santa utility vehicles. <laughs> okay. SUVs, if you will. Mm-hmm. What score are you giving Can of Worms? Can of Worms gets half a star. I'm not even going to come up with a funny thing for Can of Worms. <laughs> I did not like that movie at all. The aliens really ruined it for me. So the ultimate Christmas present wins. Like, if I was going to go with my favorite movie, I think as far as quality goes, they were both on par with each other. Like, both of them kind of, like, lost a little bit. Um on opposite ends where like the ultimate Christmas present was like a plot and a premise that I really liked. 
but characters that I really didn't like. And then Can of Worms was the opposite, where it was like characters that I liked, but a plot and premise that I absolutely hated. Um, at least the ultimate Christmas present was like enjoyable to watch. I, as was everybody that watched it with us, physically uncomfortable watching Can of Worms. And Can of Worms kind of loses mostly because I just don't want to have to watch it again. I am so grateful. I'm so grateful. <laughs> and like in that discomfort and watching it also just means that like even revisiting it now and talking about how funny some of the parts in Ultimate Christmas Present were like overall I just I liked watching that movie so much better. So Ultimate Christmas Present pulls off the upset. I'm Luke. And I'm Jill. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to D-Combat. D-Combat. There we go.